Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to Rowena Murray. Rowena has a wealth of experience in helping academic writers and today we're talking particularly about what Rowena calls the end game of PhD writing as you're coming towards the close. So we talk about the shift from the focus on supervisor to focusing on examiners. We talk about how to identify your contribution to knowledge. And we also talk about the power of obsession. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Rowena. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for being here. Um, so I made contact with you because you have so much experience in the field of helping PhD students with their writing and interest in writing more generally, but particularly helping PhD students focus down. And um, you suggested that we talk about the end game of the PhD and being a theatre scholar. I love a Beckett reference. So yes, let's do end games. Um, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, but first of all, I always ask people about their own journey and their own experience of postgraduate study. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, certainly. Uh, thank you for asking me to do this. It's always a pleasure. Um, and um, if it helps, then that's great too. Um, but my um, experience of graduate study was um, in the Pennsylvania State University, in the, right in the middle of Pennsylvania, and I did my PhD in English. And as some of you will know, when you're doing a PhD in that system, you have a teaching assistantship. So I taught rhetoric and composition, Amazing. which were two required courses for all the undergraduates. So at the time, there was about 75,000 students undergraduates. So they all had to do these two required courses. Um, and I had to do three modules on the teaching of this course. So I did my teaching and learning in higher education. Um, I did my seminars. Uh, you had to do candidacy exams, which was like a viva at, within the first year. You then oh, had your seminars was examined. So that's every 10 weeks you had a, an exam or, and or a paper. And uh, then you had comprehensive exams and all your coursework. So I managed to pack all that into three years Amazing. And then an international fellowship from the American Association of University Women uh, to do the thesis parts. And then, of course, you have a viva or they call it the oral defence at the end of that. So it was really, really hard, but wow. it was a, an excellent education. Couldn't fault it. And it was it's a big sporting university. And as a volleyball player, I was like, this is great. You could hold the Olympics at Penn State and they had all this leisure facilities and everything. It was great. Enjoyed it very hard. And then pe people are always interested in terms of how people got the job they're doing now. So can mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about then Then what next? How, how did you kind of make those steps along? Well, the next step would be, um, after the fellowship finished, um, would be uh, various pieces of part-time work. I mean, when I say a lot, I worked in all the universities in Glasgow and I did evening classes as well. And I worked out in the community. I worked in community education. So I put together... Um, a lot of part-time jobs for about two years, which was really exhausting, but it was mm. kind of like boot camp. I learned a lot about mm. teaching different groups. And then I got a one-year appointment uh, as a research fellow at Glasgow University in the Scottish literature. 
And then that was renewed for another year. And then I got, I started applying for full-time positions. I got offered a job in, in a college in Scotland. And while I was one, mulling that over, I went to one of my referees to thank him that, for writing this reference. And they offered me a job at Strathclyde wow. University. So that was my first full-time job. But I think it was really the academic writing, just by the by. You know, I'd obviously worked in literature and languages and stuff, and I did tutoring and lecturing and that. But the academic writing became kind of my interest, and it became a job as well, you know, in supporting mm. staff and uh, students. And now it's not just about remedial support. It's about how do you achieve excellence in writing for different audiences, for example, with the ref, you know, with impact case studies. So yes. there have been all sorts of ways in which being the writing expert in the room has uh, created what my career now is really. Love that. I love that. And I think it's just so helpful to hear other people's stories because I think there's a lot of anxiety mm. about, I have to land a full-time job straight out of my PhD. And actually yeah. it is very common that people kind of get a range of experience and then that can help them make decisions about what it is they want to do next. And also a theme that keeps coming through, like for you, this writing passion and commitment to that particular area. Again, people find that a passion comes through that um, then becomes their life work. That kind yeah, of not only avoided seeing the word obsession there about my interest <laughs> in just, yeah, I'm not saying that. <laughs> no, but I, I love obsession. Good enough for Calvin yeah. Klein, it's good enough for me. And it, <laughs> I, 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 think this, I think that sense of absolutely committing to something, obsession in the best sense of the word and kind of just being immersed in that, and it certainly communicates in, in, in your work, that sense of absolute immersion in this it's- this material so let us get through it and 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 pick your brains um so as I say you suggested this this idea of the end game and this kind of the the, the last well it it can it ranges for different people doesn't it but notionally about this last six months of your of your PhD yeah and you've you've given some particular you we had a little bit of communication ahead of time and you've said some things that you thought people should be thinking about um in terms of getting to that that end point and the completion point um so do you want to let us your your kind of your top points there in terms of what you yeah I can easily I mean I think it's really important you know I think it really helps people to think about their their thesis experience you know the PhD experience the thesis writing in that way that at a certain point you turn a corner Mm. from I am working on this and it will be done eventually to no I need to shut this thing down I need to finish it I need to produce this 80,000 words or whatever it is you know there is a university requirement um this is what I need to produce and I need to now start looking at the writing I've done and the writing I've still to do in that way and what I've done is develop um specific writing activities that help people move into this uh, end game phase what we're calling end game um kind of before what I've noticed is before they feel ready to exactly if if you wait till you feel ready you'll be waiting a long time yes Um, so I think end game as you'll know being a scholar of uh, Beckett and also if you play chess people will know end game means not all moves are available Mm. so it's like certain things like reading widely no and please don't repeat this, Rena Murray said, stop reading. But yeah. <laughs> um, so at a certain point, there's you've got to stop doing certain things. Some of the moves of earlier in the thesis, 
you've got to stop doing them in order mm. to get into this in-game phase. So that's why I've chosen this name, because I think the idea of not doing everything you've been doing so far is quite helpful in saying this is how dramatic a change it might feel like for people in the six to 12 months, um, the last six to 12 months of their thesis. And again and again, people have said, because I've now invented a course, an in-game course, which I've run four or five times um, in the last year. And people said, oh, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. well, that's exactly the point. Well, it, is, uh, it yeah. is like divorcing your thesis, isn't it? It's kind of getting <laughs> to a point where you're cl- you're starting to close it down. And uh, it, there's pain, it's painful. You may, you, you, often you think you're going to love that in terms of getting it finished, but actually it's a very, it can be a very painful letting go process. Um, yeah, I think there's that. But I think it's also maybe the hardest. I've been talking to a lot of people about this lately, saying this is my idea, the in-game course, blah, blah, blah. It seems really useful. And they're saying, yeah, it's really the hardest yeah. phase because it's when you pull it all together and you have to make this coherent document. So it could be the hardest, even although I think there are these activities that can make it straightforward. It's still quite hard brain work. Yep. But let, let's also just say too, it can be very, very. I'm, I'm worried that we're going to put people off. It's just, it can be that <laughs> it, that moment also, though. Like you say, in terms of things coming together, that can be truly exciting to see things coming together. Yes, yeah, and creative because you know people know they have to write about the contribution, and some people are looking in their data for the contribution. I'm like, no, it's an active construction. Yeah, you actively yeah. construct the contribution, and that's quite creative. And you don't get it the first time or maybe first few times you write about it. But that's a creative process and it's maybe iterative and that's maybe a bit wearying, but it is creative as well. And, you know, I think I think it is about making this last phase manageable by making it managed. I say a lot, you know, you're going to say, here are the specific tasks for getting this done. And if I can jump to my first topic, yeah, yeah, it yeah. is... It's a shift. Um, so there's the end game. Not all moves are available is the first concept. The second is you're in the last six to 12 months. What is it you've got to do? How much have you written? How much have you still to do? So it's kind of taking stock. The next thing is acknowledge that this is another shift. It's another change in audience. Mm. And this is where you might want to talk to your supervisors in the sense that you've been writing for the supervisors for many months and years. And that's fine. I have nothing. I mean, there's no problem with that. But now the the audience really shifts to the examiners. Now, they're the ones we're really targeting with this end game writing, if you like. We're trying to think of how do we meet the criteria? I've already said the word contribution. That's probably a universal criterion for for the doctorates. So it's about thinking about what the examiners need to see. They need to see a contribution argument um, and maybe you need to have a conversation with your supervisors who might say, no, I don't think you should do that, you should do this. You might say, well, no, I think at this point, maybe I, the author, the student, I want to do, I want to emphasise this. And I think I've done enough of that. So there's a little bit of maybe a, a shift in the relationship as well, in that you want to get done. They want you to get finished as well, to be fair, the supervisors. But there's a little bit of quite often um, the supervisors become maybe a bit more directive because they think this is, I see how you can get this done. And at the same time, the student is going, yeah, but I don't think so. I want to do this, yes. or I, I think I should do it this way. And that can be quite a change. Yes, um, and it's just to be aware of it? that. It's not problematic unless you're not aware of it. Yeah, yeah. sorry, go ahead, Emma. No, I was just saying, yeah, it's a kind of, it's a negotiation, isn't it? It can be tricky, but it can also be thrilling in terms of yes. knowing. This, yes. I, I know, I know what's right for my work now. Yes. Yeah. 
So there's that shift um, in audience. Yes. When thinking about your examiners. And then you, you're talking about contribution. And I think this is something people get very anxious about. Don't they? Kind uh-huh. of this originality, my contribution mm-hmm. to knowledge. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? <laughs> well, the contribution is, it has to be said, it is a word you must use. I don't use the word must very often, but you must use the word or whatever version of that word is in your university's criteria for the doctoral award. So there will be uh, criteria that we've written down on the examiner's report form, which if you've never seen it, go and find it now. Mm. The examiner's report form is where the criteria are written down and in the Viva, we look at these criteria and if I'm chairing a Viva, when I'm chairing a Viva, I'll literally read them out and they'll go, these are yes, no questions. The candidate has done this, yes, no, yes. Yeah, it's generally all yes. And then they have feedback for the revision. So look at the criteria, but the key one, as you've said, Emma, is quite right with contribution. Now, what it means is sometimes I think, well, you must use the word. Sometimes I think an easier question for you to think about this is what do we know now that we didn't know before? Mm. As a result of your study, what do we know now that we didn't know before? Mm. And I think even thinking or preferably talking and writing about that for a few minutes is a way to construct this concept of new knowledge Because what happens initially, even with that, actually, what happens initially is people assert contribution. This thesis contributes to knowledge about blah, 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 and they don't define it. Mm. So they assert it, but they don't define it. And so as soon as you use the word contribution, define it. In what sense is this a contribution? And the answer is in relation to previous work. This is a relational statement. It's not a a contribution in a vacuum. Mm. So you have to say, okay, in relation to this work, that work, that work, different authors, um, I've challenged, I've added to, but what have you added? People say I've added to, I've added, I've shed new light, I've provided insights. Or what are the insights? Mm. So I'm just saying you could, people listening to this, you can leapfrog these stages of where you're just simply writing, I've added knowledge. Well, which knowledge have you added? What do we know now that we didn't know before? Yeah. And the other key rabbit hole not to go down is when I say it's a relational argument and you have to link your assertion of contribution to previous work, it's not a literature review. People then start writing hundreds and thousands of words of literature. I'm like, no, it's the opposite of literature. It's all about you, but you link it to previous work in a specific way. So if you say you've added to Murray's work, Murray 2015, what did you add? If you say you've challenged the Murray 2010, what's the challenge? You know, you have to specify. Based on what you've done in your research, based on what you've found, yeah. Yes. No. So that is really, really clear. So it's this opportunity, in a, you know, in a way to show off, to 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 talk about what you've done. But it, like you say, absolutely contextualising your work is really important um, to, mm. to situate well, yourself you, in that community of scholars, yeah. isn't it? Well, that's what contribution means. It's not it's a contribution to what was there before. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've got we've got shifting your audience. We've got. Yeah defining the contribution that you're making um, and then the other thing you said you were going to talk about which I'm really interested here in, in terms of this writing together the benefits of writing together and because you always imagine that people are kind of going to go into a room and disappear as they finish that last mm. bit off which can be very mm. scary for people so I'm really interested mm-hmm. to hear about this writing together. Well I'm I'm completely happy to appear to overstate this massively <laughs> the power of writing <laughs> The the power of writing, the productivity and power and confidence building and stress management, anxiety reducing, the whole nine yards. Um, Writing in little groupings 
of people who choose to write that way, and I'm including online, I'm, I'm assuming now we're not all going and writing retreats in gorgeous Scotland. We're, we're actually um, talking about writing together online. Um, and I, the experience, I was going to say, I think, but I know from what people tell me, and myself included, that writing together for 60 or 90 minute slots in a structured day, or maybe even you only have one of these slots. If you've got children, you know, after they've gone to bed, you can write for 60 minutes or whatever. So defining writing slots as part of this writing together, the model I've developed, the structured writing retreat, it, as I say, it works uh, just as well online mm-hmm. and it's working for um, interdisciplinary groups. It doesn't need to be people in your own discipline. Sometimes there are other conversations you have with them. Talk about your goals, set your writing goals, monitor the extent to which you've achieved them, listen to what other people are calling writing goals, learning to set realistic writing goals for the time we actually have. <laughs> so that's what I mean by the benefits of writing together for everything from relieving stress to feeling we're in the same boat to actually getting concrete you know, ideas about what a writing goal might involve and the satisfaction. Because in this high stakes writing that's called thesis writing, sorry, I've just finished one point, it's high stakes writing and that's not going to change. Um, you've been working at this for a long time. So the more you can kind of um, develop strategies for managing what can be quite stressful, the better. And it's all about the goals. It's having a writing goal, a specific writing goal for a specific time slot, be it 60 or 90 minutes. And, you know, that might be 700 words, 1500 words. People go, what? I don't know how many words I'll write in a number of minutes. It depends on, I'm like, ah, oh, let me stop you right there. Of course it depends, but decide. And that's the intellectual work of writing is saying, okay, I've got a 90 minute slot and I think I'll be working on this idea of contribution. Um, what we know now that we didn't know before as a result of my thesis or as a result of my research is complete that sentence and write about it. You know, that would be a prompt for writing for 60 minutes, 30 minutes, not all day, and then stop after 60 or 90 minutes and look at what you've done set a word limit for that just say okay the contribution argument what would that be at the end of your thesis mm, is it going to be a page 250 words double space is it going to be a couple of pages it depends how contested it is how contestable so you can see how setting some time limits and word limits prompts you to decide and, and make these important decisions uh, rather than just I'm going to sit down and do some writing well, what are you doing you know define yes. the time. yeah Exactly, because to sit down and write your thesis is, it just feels so heavy and kind of impossible. How can you sit down to write it? And that that sense of what you're saying there in terms of real clear focus is just golden advice. And I think also what you were saying in terms of being together with other people, and I think particularly at this moment where we are still in lockdown, as we record mm-hmm. this, actually making contact with real human beings who are also trying to navigate PhD study in a lockdown environment can be a real blessing I know that from PhD students that I'm talking to just now that actually that has been great and and we will of course have the links and things so that people can can follow up follow that up magic Um, thank you so so much good advice in there but I'm going to ask you an unkind question which I ask everybody In terms of a top tip, so something that people can take away and kind of action, and there's already lots in there. So you might just choose your favourite from what we've already covered, or there might be something else that you're going to pull out of the bag. 
Well, I think, um, as we discussed earlier, that the writing the 750 word thesis summary was the last item on my list. And I would say that's it. That's the top tip. Write a 750 word summary of your thesis. So that's 750 words divided by the number of your chapters. So that's a paragraph with, I don't know, 100 words on each, uh, on each chapter. Each paragraph begins with the words, chapter one, verb, you know, provides the rationale for the study, blah, blah, blah. Chapter two, I don't know, reviews the literature on focusing on the and shows that there was needed, you know, work was needed on this. So it's chapter one, verb, chapter two, verb, chapter three, verb, you know, the doing word without blinding you all with grammar. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a way, again, of forcing yourself to decide, well, what is each chapter doing? And then you need to look at your 750 words and go, okay, where's the macro argument? Not just that chapter three builds in chapter two or four and three or five and four. What's the macro argument, the big argument that the whole thesis makes? And how is each of these chapters progressing that? And that's where the last sentence of each paragraph is important. The last sentence is like, well, so what? What did that show us? What did that tell us? Particularly for your discussion chapters or whatever they're called, you know, the, the stuff that's about the half of it or two thirds of the thesis is about your work and what you found, what you think it means. So the first sentence is chapter one verb and the last sentence is, well, so what What's what does that tell us? And those last sentences should show how the thesis argument develops. And the last thing I would say about this is aims and claims. The aims of the study were, you know, so chapter three, chapter two, three, reviews of literature on the da, focusing on the da, showing that there was a need for research on the da. Therefore, this study focused on these three research questions. So the research questions are in the summary and those questions should be answered at the end. And so the last paragraph should tell me what the answers to these questions were. So that's what I mean by aims, the research aims should word for word the same words should be there in the aims as in the claims at the end, aims at the start or at the end of the lit review chapter, if you've got one, and the claims in the conclusion. See what I mean? So it's getting that verbal word-for-word match. And I'm only spelling that out, emphasising that, because quite often people feel that or have learned that they should never repeat the same terms. I'm like, no, repetition is your friend. You have to actually use the same words and aims and claims or research questions and research answers. So... This is one of the tasks in the Endgame course that is the first task, actually, um, that I run, uh, as you know now, um, because it it forces people to make decisions. And it means your supervisors can look at it 10 or 20 times and give you feedback. It takes them maybe a minute or two to read it, a minute or two to respond to you. Okay, maybe five minutes to write the email. And you can, as I say, send them, revise it, revise it, revise it. Um, please don't tell them I told them to read 20 versions of your thesis summary or do blame me, say Rowena Murray suggested it Um, and then once you're happy with that you know how to revise it you may even know how to write the chapters you've not yet written because you can see the whole whole thing so you've constructed Mm. the whole thesis and that then goes into the end of your introduction so that the examiners can see to come back Mm. to them the whole thesis and how coherent it is because you've made it coherent Ta-da. Mm, I love it. Aims and claims. I love it. And this sense of the kind of the architecture of the thesis. I yeah. just it's really, really important. Thank you so much, Farina. That is amazing. I think we all need a transcript of this episode so that we can make sure we're ticking things off as we do it. Um, 
as I say, I will in the show notes, we'll have some more information and we'll have all the links. Don't forget that you can sign up for the newsletter, too, because we always put a bit of extra content in there every week. Um, thank you for your time, Rowena. And um, thank you all for listening. Thank you for setting this up. You're very welcome and good luck. Keep writing, everybody.